0: Hi guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. Today on the podcast, we have Heather Monahan. Heather is a best-selling author, a keynote speaker, a podcast host, and so much more. She used to be a former C-suite executive in media, and she was named one of the most influential women in radio in 2017, and Thrive Global named her a limit-breaking female founder in 2018. Heather's podcast, Creating Confidence, is a top 100 show in business category on Apple Podcasts. Heather was also recently named one of the top 40 female keynote speakers of 2020 and a top 50 keynote speaker in the world 2022 by Real Leaders. And her new book is called Overcome Your Villains, and it's available now. And we talk all about it in this podcast. Enjoy. Heather, you have now what two books, right? Your first one's called Creating Confidence.
1: My first book is Confidence Creator. My podcast oh, is Creating huh? Confidence. You are right there, though. And my oh. new book is Overcome Your Villains.
0: Right. Your new book's Overcome Your Villains. So you're, so it's, you twisted it around the podcast and the name. How come you did that? Was that like a.
1: So my first book, I, I, uh, self-published. That was 2018. And when I Googled, how do you sell books, it said speak and go on podcasts. So I started pitching myself to every podcast in the world that landed me on the lady gang in LA and our episode did really well. So I reached out to the CEO of podcast one and said, I want to come in and thank you. So I went in to thank him and he offered me a show with podcast one and I had my book with me to give him a copy that day. And so he said, why don't we create it off the same name?" Confidence creator, but you know, creating confidence with Heather Monaghan. I said, "All right, let's do it," and that's where the name came from.
0: And the rest is history. Are you still? Are you still with Podcast One? No, Podcast One sold um, a a little over a year ago. But hold on, who did they sell to?
1: I don't remember the name of the company, but there was a transition there, and I was really close to the founder, Norm of Podcast One, and and um, the leadership changed.
0: Uh, Okay, so then they just kind of like kind of. We are both mutually friends with Jordan Harbinger, correct? Yes. Yes. Because he's still with them though. He's so still with them. He is. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's great. So, okay. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about creating confidence. It's a great beginning because that's how you kind of like trade your way into this. What You have a whole three-step program. So would you please explain and tell us in in your opinion, what's the best way to create confidence?
1: I'll tell you, I truly believe for every person it's different. And here's why. For 14 years, I was running side by side with a woman that hated me, who was always trying to set me up and sabotage me. Until I got that woman out of my life, I was never going to be a very true confident, I might appear confident in certain situations, but i wasn't really going to be confident about myself as long as i was allowing someone to treat me so poorly in my life for so long so for me until i fired that villain from my life i wasn't going to create confidence some people don't have a villain in their life right some people are around good people that support them and like them but maybe they're running a negative tape in their head or maybe they're apologizing for everything and always putting themselves you know i feel like there's there are so many potential situations to create confidence in someone but that recipe for everybody is going to be a little bit different.
0: So what's your recipe?
1: Well, for me, the number one thing is to fire your villains or overcome your villains. But the three-step process that I share in my new book is all around beliefs, action, and knowledge. Number one, distilling that whatever belief that you're holding down to the most simplistic shred of fact that you can find. Immediately, number two, taking action. And three, being very intentional about the knowledge that you're surrounding and you're supporting yourself with.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm a big action person myself. I think that that's where a lot of everything comes from. Um, The belief is very difficult, right? Because I, you know, I feel like if you say, if you, you know, some people have a more of a, their self-esteem is much more, more poignant where they can have those beliefs about themselves that are not so limiting or not so, um, Negative, I guess you would call it. How would you tell people to build a stronger belief system or get away from their limiting beliefs or their negative self-talk about what they are?
1: Well, I can tell you what I did. I for the first two decades of my career, I came up through corporate America. I was a chief revenue officer in media, and I was getting a lot of value from external things. My title, my paycheck, awards that I was winning. And the more that you allow those things to hold value in your life, the less confidence, true confidence you're going to have within yourself because you're starting to detach from it and associate it with things outside, which was a horrible recipe for me. It took me ultimately getting fired at the in the end of 2017 by that woman that I mentioned that hated me so much for me to really stop and say, okay, I feel terrible. I'm miserable. I'm scared. I'm full of self-doubt right now, panicking. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm a single mom. And I had to really get clear on if I want to create the most confident version of myself, the most powerful version of myself, which I needed in that moment. And I couldn't find her, right? She definitely wasn't there. She was actually under a weighted blanket, you know, drinking Chardonnay, feeling bad for herself. And so I thought, okay, where do, where do I begin? And I created a 30-day plan. And I suggest this for anyone going through a really, you know, hard internal struggle. I mapped out 30 days just because it seemed like, okay, I can't look a year from now. I don't know what I'm going to be doing in five years, but I can handle four weeks and 30 days. And so I started writing down, you know, what are the action steps I can do? I, I know that I can practice gratitude. I know that if I work out and put myself first right now in this window, it's going to help give me the energy that I need. Like truly breaking it down to like inch by inch, day by day to try to turn myself around and then setting a very clear goal. Of, you know, I want to be a 10 on the confidence scale. Right now I'm at a one. I've been there before. I know I can't get back there. So I started writing down how would you speak to your son? I've got um, a 14 year old son. When this happened, I guess he was about
0: nine or 10. His name is Dylan, I, right? Dylan? His name's Dylan. Yeah, yeah exactly. My, I have a Dylan also. So. A great. Yeah. minds
1: think alike. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I thought, how would I talk to my son? I wouldn't say you knucklehead. Why did you do this? You blew it, which was some of the things that I was saying to myself in that moment. How did you not see this coming, Heather? You know, getting so angry at myself. Instead, I would approach it with my son as this is a learning experience. Something wasn't right for you in this situation. And now another door is going to open. We don't know what it is yet. Right. So I started pretending it was happening to my child so that I could rewrite the way I was speaking to myself. And I wrote it down and I would read it to myself every day. Another thing I did during this time was journal and starting to reflect on and get those feelings outside of me onto paper created a little bit of space. Right. And then I started Looking back on my life and career, what other times have I gone through really low moments and, and what were the steps I took then and how did I get out of them? And then I started realizing, wait a minute, I've seen this movie before. I've seen when hard times have come and not only have I survived them, but I've thrived after them. So I started saying, okay, I just don't know what that next step looks like yet, but I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to rely on, like you, taking massive action, asking for help. Was it, I went on social media and posted, I've just been fired if I've ever helped you, I need to hear from you now. And that post went viral and landed me on the Elvis Duran show, which is where I got the idea to write my
0: book. Wow. Okay. So well, Hey, first of all, why did that woman hate you so much? Did you ever find out or do you know why she hated you so much? Okay. This is such a good question. Someone asked me this last week.
1: I believe in facts. I don't believe in opinions, right? Just to, to be fair. So I can't factually say what the reason was. I can tell you that I'm an overachiever. I had just won most influential woman in radio two weeks before she fired me, right? Like, there's a lot of facts showing that me being at that company was beneficial for the shareholders and the stock price. Yes, yes, and yes. However, this woman did not like me. When I was coming up, I had been at that company and working with her for 14 years. Her father was the CEO. She was the CFO, I was the CRO. So I was all about let's spend money, let's invest in our clients, let's invest in our product. She was all about let's cut money, let's you know put more money in the bottom line. So we were always at seeing things from an opposing angle, but over time as I became a more powerful version of myself as I started taking bigger stages in our industry, I saw she started resenting me more. This is my opinion, but my general sense was she was one of those women that they might put on a good face that, Oh, I'm on the board of women empowering women, but secretly behind closed doors. Don't give that girl, you know, the next bump and pay. Don't give her the next opportunity. Hold her back. any way you can,
0: you know, I'm bringing this up for a very, for, for a good reason, because I think that like, I know it's like the popular thing to talk about how women supporting women is all like, it's a very like hashtag social media friendly thing to talk about. Which I find very interesting because I'm a woman and I know that not everyone feels that way. There's a lot of competitiveness. There's a lot of cattiness that goes on. It's not all like one for one and all for all or whatever that is. And there's a lot of like that happens a lot. So it's not just about, you know, I I just feel like sometimes in my career as well, it's been much easier to not deal with certain women because it's not... There's so many other nuances that go on that it doesn't... Women don't always support women, you know? And nobody
1: wants to talk about it. And I'm so glad you're bringing this up. It's like the elephant in the room. Totally. It's, much, it's more popular to say women supporting women, which is great when that happens. And, you know, I love that, but it's It's not the norm, especially in corporate America. It is much more normal to find women that are trying to sabotage you or hold you back.
0: 100%. And, and like, you, how, when someone says that, like, I agree with you. I think it's not it's not the norm where everyone's just like, you know, hurrah, like let's do it because there's such a competitive thing. But yet like, I don't, this is what I just have a problem with in general that people don't like to talk about things that are like unpopular or not considered to be like positive thinking when the reality is still the reality. It's still the elephant that nobody's talking about. Right. So like the truth is like, how do you overcome those types of scenarios? Because it happens a lot. So how, how do you take how would you do that? Like besides because what happens like you're right, like your, your confidence uh, especially diminishes when she's the boss's kid, right? Like, you don't really have a leg to stand on, unfortunately, right? So what are some strategies that you can tell women who are like minded, who know this happens? How do they deal with it?
1: So I'll, I'll tell you what I did that was wrong and what I learned from it so that hopefully people don't make the same mistake. For a while, when I started notice, noticing she was, you know, disliking me more and more and trying to sabotage me, I started thinking maybe if I dim my light a little bit, it will allow her to feel a little bit more comfortable and she can, you know, start showing up in a in a more positive way. So I truly became... Mm-hmm. Whether it was intentional or, or unintentional, like a B rate version of myself, I started shrinking back in meetings and not speaking up so much, you know, not trying to get ready to go into a meeting to look my best or feel my best. I thought, you know, kind of fly under the radar, Heather, and just let your your results speak for themselves. And what I learned was me dimming my light did not amplify hers at all. Me dimming my light made our environment a more dark place and it made me feel a heck of a lot worse about myself. She ended up growing empowered during that time because I was shrinking away and she felt that much more um empowered to do whatever crazy stuff she wanted to do to me. So things actually got a lot worse. Me turning a blind eye to bad behavior was the wrong decision because I was teaching her how she could treat me and that I would let her get away with it. So it wasn't until I finally had that big realization and I said, you know what, I'm going to start dialing my light back up. I'm going to start going in as my most powerful version of myself. I warrant that seat at the table. And when I have something to say, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to say something. And for a while, she had started to ignore me in meetings. And she would walk by me instead of greet me. I was the only other woman in the C-suite with her. And I would see the guys kind of snicker and laugh a little. And finally, I said, that's it. I've had enough. So I put on my red dress. I spent extra time getting ready to really you know, pump myself up to feel good. I played my power playlist on my way to the, the meeting. And I decided I'm, I'm going to call her out. And so she walked in, was saying hello to everyone, and walked right by me. And as she sat at the head of the table, I said, hi, good morning. I think you missed me. I'm here. I'm really excited to be a part of the meeting today. And, you know, I just smiled. I wasn't being rude, but I was letting it be known that I would not be ignored anymore and that I deserved to be seen. And I I think that's probably the day she decided she was firing me. But for me, it was that pivotal moment that I started really becoming a
0: confident version of myself. I love that. So you kind of reinvented yourself right after that job, because now you're doing like your business is totally the antithesis of of it was that it was before. Um, so how, like, how did that happen? I mean, you had to be confident. I, I feel, I think that people need to have a certain sense of this. Why not me kind of mentality for them to actually go after their, whatever their dream is. Did you, like, like before you did all the sales stuff, what, did you want to do what you're doing now? What would you say you're doing now? Besides you write books and you do a lot of speaking, what would you say your t- your job is right now? Like what is the career title? Is there one or?
1: Yeah, I mean, really the speaking business is that's what I'm best at and that's mm-hmm. what I get paid the most, right? Other than my board seat, thank God for my board seat. But you know, to me, it's really the speaking. That's something I did for 20 years in corporate America and I never got paid for it back then. I had no idea it was a business, but it took me stumbling around and trying to figure out this whole entrepreneurial world that I fell into someone offering to pay me for a speech, which opened my mind to, oh, hang on, this is a business I can lean into, right? It, it took Elvis Duran telling me to write a book for me to say, I, I can write a book? Well, I'm not an English major. I, I'm the salesperson. What are you talking about? So I kept stepping into this uncertainty in these unknown areas. Me launching a podcast, like where was that? I I had never planned on any of this stuff. I always saw myself in the C suite, in corporate America, running somebody else's company. And I it just I never even thought it was possible for me what I what I do today.
0: Right. And then, like, so would you say that you're... So your strength is speaking then. That's really what you love the most, right? And that's... And so this Elvis Duran, he gave you kind of like the first launching pad for that, mm-hmm. right? And then, so I guess... So how my question is, well, not really a question is like, so you base, I also find that I feel that people always compartmentalize and, and put people in certain lanes. Like, if I'm mm. in the fitness business, I can't, I'm in the fitness business, there's no way I can do this plus be good at that, that, that and that. Right. right. And so people always think that, you know, they listen to what other people tell them of what their place is. And you didn't do that, nor did I. And it's just frustrating. So how do you like, what kind of advice do you tell people how they can stop kind of listening to other people about putting themselves in that one dimensional box?
1: Oh my gosh. So I love that you brought up the labels and the lanes and, and I did, I lived my life that way. I growing up, I was the social one and the social one gets into sales and just, you know, you're that's what you're good at and stay there. And when I got fired, so many people said to me, just go back and get another leadership position in corporate America and sales somewhere. How they're like, what? You're good at it. Don't walk away from what you're good at. And I doubt, you know, I wondered, holy cow, should I take that as my direction? Should I do that? But I'll tell you, I had to break out of what I was familiar with to start seeing what was possible for me. And I had I hadn't done that in so long. And it was so incredibly scary because it was so different than what I was used to. And I felt like I can't see that next step. I don't know, you know, where I go next. I was I, I, stumbling is like the best word I can share of what it felt like, you know, during that time, making tons of mistakes and not knowing, you know, what was going to happen next. So that whole journey for me of letting go of those labels, deciding just because I'm the social one doesn't mean I can't be a smart one. Doesn't mean I can't, you know, be any kind of one I want. And I've now decided I live my life lanelessly. There's no lanes. I'm going to go wherever I want and bring my unique skills and talents there. And see how it turns out for me because I don't know until I until I try it. But the one most powerful thing I can tell people other than blow up the lanes, take your talents wherever you want to go, and you can be successful at more than one career and more than one thing, just because you're good at sales doesn't mean you're not a great writer, right? But you have to be willing to step into it and take that chance. But the other piece of advice I would give people is never take direction from someone who hasn't been where you're going. And that was a mistake I made when I first got fired. My family was saying, oh, my gosh, you can't be an author. Are you crazy? You know, you can't do this. You're going to (laughs) get sued. And and it was funny. I called my editor um, right before I was going to just bail on my book and give up because my family was saying, you know, don't do this. And I called him just to make a plea. And he said, well, I've got one question for you. How many books has your family written? And I said, well, none. And he said, how many have I written? And I said, 19. He said, who do you think you should be taking advice from, Heather? And it was like this epiphany moment that here I was almost turning over a a huge decision in my life to people who had never even written a book before. And so he changed my mind. He also asked me to reconnect with my why. He said, why are you writing the book? And I said, because I wish I had a roadmap years ago to help me create confidence. And I know there's people out there that this will help. And he said, has that changed from the conversation with your family? And I said, no. And it was, you know, the light went on and I said, okay, I'm going to move forward with this book. And I'm so grateful that I
0: did. Right. Because your sister wasn't really in your book, you're telling your sister, your mom. And so are you guys on good terms now about this or like what's happened since? Yeah, no. For
1: you know, initially, my sister's an attorney, so she was just giving me legal advice. Right, she's nervous for you. She was nervous for me, right? So I I completely. It's not that she's bad or she's right or I'm wrong. It was just a decision that I needed to make. She was trying to protect me, and while I'm grateful for you know her protection, I had to say I'm. I think this is willing going. I'm willing to go to go for it anyway. So yeah, no, we're we're we are not on bad terms, or but it was. It was just so, um, it was so clear to me that she knew she had the right answer for me from her vantage point. And I had to be willing to say, maybe that's the right decision for her, but I'm going to still step forward, not knowing what's going to happen and give it a shot. And the first week that book came out, it trumped Donald Trump for number one on the business biography list on Amazon. And yes, I have the screenshot to prove that one, but it was that serendipitous moment of, oh yeah, I am so glad I moved forward with this.
0: That is so amazing. It was crazy. How, why do you think that was? How, why do you think that that was like, th- that it ha- was instantly very successful?
1: You know, because think, every
0: Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: I, I think that when you are a first time author, and it's so out of the box for you that anyone in your life is going to be curious as to is this thing a flop? You know, is this thing any good? That that curiosity was It definitely stimulated people in my old industry that I had just left, and I had been there for two decades, right? So I had all these people, I'm sure many of them wanted me to fail. I'm sure many of them wanted me to succeed, but there was this water cooler talk around it. So that definitely sparked some curiosity. And then I just think that that whole topic of creating confidence and can you actually create it? You know, that's something that I know I have been curious about for a long time in my life. And I think that title really grabbed people's attention.
0: I agree. I think that confidence now, I feel like everyone's talking about it, right? Like, but probably when you wrote it, it wasn't as, as popular, right? Like, and now right. everyone's like, how to create confidence, 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 you know, but that's great, great, great for you. I mean, on your path, though, there must have been you know, failures, right? Not, it wasn't probably all just like, you know, rainbows and unicorns, right?
1: Uh, so no, beyond no. You know, one of the big failures I had when I first got fired was number one was doubting myself. You know, I spent too much time and energy thinking, what if I fail? What if I, what if I can't succeed? Maybe I should go back that whole questioning. That was just a, a waste of energy, which that was a fail in and of itself. But then I decided okay, I need to partner with a big name. If I partner with a big name, I'll be back. Again, trying to get confidence from outside of me, right? So I tracked down the CEO of Perry Ellis International and I partnered with his company, which I thought was a great idea. I had this idea that I wanted a clothing line for women in business that had... Inspirational and motivational messaging all throughout the clothing on the inside, not on the outside for everyone else to see, but for you to see when you put your blazer on or your sweater or whatever. And they love the it's idea. Cute. Yeah, and I love that. It's I cute. wanted to, to take it to QVC and sell it on QVC because sales is my thing, right? I'm, I'm like, I can, I can do this. We'll have a new revenue stream for the company. They were going through a challenging time. They were looking for new revenue streams. They had never done anything like this. They're like,
0: we're all in. Why Perry Ellis of all the companies out there?
1: Well, you know, getting to an ultimate decision maker of a large clothing company is not yeah, easy. It's and not I went easy. to this, I went to the same spin studio with the okay. CEO. So it made it, he was in my backyard. I have met him once before. I, I just felt I can get to this guy. Totally. Right? He's, totally. he's in my community. So anyways, what I kind of forgot about is when you start dealing with a, a billion dollar company, they don't move as fast as you do. Right?
0: No, no they do not. <laughs> yep.
1: Mm-hmm. So for the totally. next nine months, we worked on this clothing line, this concept, the pitch deck for QVC, you know, the actual pitch nine months went into this. And I got us the meeting with uh, the the head of the clothing division for women at QVC. And I was so nervous for this pitch, because I just felt like this is my multimillion dollar idea. This is my business. This is everything right here. And it's kind of funny now thinking back on it. And so we went to the pitch I was so excited, and at the end, we were done. She said, Heather, I get why you, and and we get you, and we think you'll be great on air. Perry Ellis, not you. This is not new. It's not different from the clothes that we see on our show already. Go create a product, a a shirt, a a tie, something that we don't have on air. Partner it with Heather's concept, and Heather, and we'll put you on. We walked out of that meeting, and they looked at me and said, oh, we can't move that fast. You know, we can't go create something new. We've already got, you know, whatever it is, nine months in. I just I just don't think this is going to work. And so it ended up all of this time and all this effort for this really good idea just kind of disappeared overnight.
0: Oh God, that is a cute idea. I loved it. I love that. That must have been very disappointing though.
1: Well, it's frustrating when it's like I said before, I'm in this unknown space. You know, you have a great idea and you're like, I know this can work. But you need that partner. You need that that person that knows the clothing business. You know, I've never made clothing before. And it's trying to figure out how do you connect those dots and put those pieces together. And sometimes they just don't connect.
0: So why didn't you go find another clothing company or try? Well,
1: I, well it's so funny that you say that. So I launched my podcast in 2019. And Kim Gravel, who is a personality on QVC, was someone, a PR person, pitched me to have on my show I agreed and I went to Atlanta to interview her. She and I hit it off. And while I was there, I told her my idea that I had had worked on the year before. And she said, Heather, I love this idea. Let's, you and I do this idea. So we went back, you know, I designed a new deck and we went back and came up and did all the work. And this was right before pandemic. And she went in and pitched it without me and she cuz you know she's working with these people every day has a trust and credibility and she came out and said okay they love the idea they love you they love me but they don't think the product that we had sketched out was unique it was the same exact feedback that i had gotten and i had just for whatever reason i wasn't refocusing on that i need something so unlike what they have on air and so then the pandemic hit and there was all these issues with China and supply chain and, and whatnot. And so I just haven't picked it back up again, but I still feel like it's some of those ideas that you have out there in the world. You never know when that door might open again. And gosh, it would it would still be a great idea to
0: pursue. No, totally. I have a lot of those, I, a lot of those things that I kind of like tried and like, it just, it was just a miss by a little and it's like still in my head. I have a QVC thing also. It's like, Oh, it's so very annoying. It's totally <sighs> annoying. Um, and then how, well, so what, what's your, like, so how did you deal with failure and how did you, how do you overcome it? Like, I think that to me is like people's, a lot of, a lot of people's problems. They don't like to fail. Right. So do you have any advice on what, how you did it or what you think that people should do?
1: Yeah, I'm big into taking action. So for me, taking action is going to solve all my problems, right? I'm one person away from, or one knock on a door away from that next opportunity, so to really fail would be staying stuck in that failure moment. I don't stay stuck. I just, I force myself to take action. I actually have a book, a chapter in my new book, Overcome Your Villains called, it's the Octopus Revenue Strategy. And it's all around so that you don't find yourself in that stuck place with, oh my gosh, this concept just failed. Now what do I do? And so what I've been doing and what I've learned you know, over the last couple of years is to have multiple ideas up and running. And plenty of people will tell you, Well, you can't be in too many places at one time. And and yes, I agree that at different times, you have to focus in on when you're going to book launch, you want to focus in on book launch, right? You don't want to be running all over a place, filming podcasts and and doing speeches. But so there are windows to focus in on one thing, but it's critical to have multiple opportunities up and running. And that's really what has helped save me to keep me going when, you know, different things like a global pandemic occur and, and you say, oh, my gosh, speaking events are gone. Right, but I but I'm on the board of HealthLink. But right, but I've launched my consulting business. Right, but I launched. So when you have these different elements up and running at any point in time, you can lean into different ones.
0: Right. So your whole strategies have more have a lot of balls in the air at the same time. So don't rely on just one.
1: I, I I just I've seen it hurt too much. You know, it's too painful when you're relying all. And I was relying all in on that job that I worked for for 14 years. Right, and that was a great learning lesson. Don't think that, you know, everybody else is going to have your back. The company that you're working for is going to have your back. Find different ways to, you know, what problems can you solve outside of work that you could potentially charge for? What business model do you have within your mind that maybe you can start exploring so that someday, one day, that could be a legitimate business that you could walk away from your day
0: job? Do you think though that drive, like, obviously you're very driven and ambitious. I mean, that's obvious, right? Do you think that that's more of an innate quality or someone can actually learn to become that? Cause I feel like, you know, I think that's, I asked that question to a lot of people. Cause I, I do think that there's something to be said for people who are just naturally more like have more of a fire in their belly because of their past or for whatever reason it is.
1: Well, I think I have an unfair advantage. I grew up poor and anyone that's grown up poor, if you have a desire never to be poor again, you will be driven like no other. I mean, there's just nothing that's gonna stop you from that, right? So I do believe people that had tough childhoods have typically an unfair advantage. So I'm grateful for that now at 47 that I am i have a lot of distance from it, but I can look back and say that was a blessing. But I've also seen people, I'm sure you've seen people like this too, that seemed you know, to kind of just be like, coasting by not pushing themselves Mm -hmm. and then some life change happens something it could be a death in the family it could be a termination it could be it could be anything a health issue and then suddenly that light inside them is ignited and everything changes
0: so so you're saying that you think that something big has to happen in their life to kind of ignite it or it doesn't just like happen. I don't see, see it
1: organically happening. I was, um, I was doing a virtual speech the other day and a woman came on screen at the end to ask a question. And she said, Heather, you know, I've kind of been coasting along in, in my day job for years now, actually 13 years. And I have this idea that I want to pursue and I just, you know, to go all in it and do it. And I mean, it was unbelievable. <laughs> listening to this woman, she was telling us she's not happy for 13 years with what she's doing and she has a great idea, but she's so scared to jump. And so I asked her to do me one favor and to drop in the chat the date that she's giving herself to pull the trigger. What is that specific date that you're actually going to commit to a date? And when she wrote down out 90 days from today, now you'll start building a plan. Now you're start, you're going to force yourself to find a way to actually get there. But you have to commit to those dates or you know accountability to push yourself when you're not willing to do it on your own.
0: Yeah, I love that. So let's talk about the book title this time. It's called Overcoming Your Villain. So um, we talked about that woman that was obviously a villain of yours. Yes. You also talked about leap. was it called? Leapfrogging Villains. Leapfrogging Villains. What is that? What's Leapfrogging Villains?
1: Okay, so that's so funny. So my first book, that was one of the titles of a chapter in my first book. And I'm a big fan of data doesn't lie, right? The data is not going to lie to you. So I would receive so many DMs about that chapter in particular that I thought, this is a sign, you know, that I need to remember this name. So when I signed on with HarperCollins leadership and we were talking about, you know, throwing around different titles, I said, no, the title is leapfrogging villains. And they say, why? And I said, because the data doesn't lie. People resonate with that. So they, were, they, were, they took it one step further than I did. And, and thankfully... They went to market and they tested 10 different names. Leapfrogging Villains was one. Overcome Your Villains was another, along with, you know, eight other titles. And boy, were they right. The data didn't lie. It was 90% voted for overcome your villains of the um, sample audience that they went to. And leapfrogging villains had like 3% or so it was it was something so mind blowing. So as much as I was attached to it emotionally from my first book, I said, No, I totally support the data. Let's let's move forward with overcome your villains.
0: Wow, that's a big difference. It's huge. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I wonder why I like that. I mean, I think it's catchy. And and a it lot did. of times the titles that do the best are the ones that you never think will do the best. And the ones that they spend all this money and effort and time and and putting all this time and effort into, they 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 are flops.
1: There's so, you know, there's so many things outside of your control with a book launch that I feel like Will Smith launching a book the same week that you launch your book, not great timing, (laughs) right? But there's so many things that you just can't control and you have to turn it over. But my friend, John Gordon, who has, I think, five New York Times bestselling books, he, he shared with me, hey, you're putting a lot of pressure on wanting to make this big first week and make all these lists of first week. He said, Heather, it took me five years for my first book to hit the New York Times bestseller list. And when I heard that, you know, it made the point to me that this doesn't have to just be a short game. It's fine for it to be a long game, too.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. There's a lot of pressure on a lot of people, especially people, though, who've had big books, like big, big names. There's a lot of pressure to make the New York Times best. Like, you know what? You have a finite window, usually. And then if you don't make it, you're kind of shit out of luck. You know what I mean? Like, that's just the reality of it. It's very competitive though now. I mean, it's a different time than it's ever been, especially with social media and everybody now is is putting out content, so much content. How do you like so do you how do you kind of create content that's unique or different or that stands out? That's a really I think people would love to know that. So because you're it's one of the hardest
1: it's one of the hardest things to do and you know this because it is so noisy out there. It is so competitive out there, but One of the things I just go back to my, you know, back to my corporate America days, I always wanted to own a white space, whether I was pitching a client and differentiating myself from the competition or helping them develop a marketing campaign so that they could differentiate themselves. So don't stay in that competitive water that everybody else is in. So if everybody else is a fitness model. I don't want to be a fitness model. I want to be a fitness TED speaker. You know, similar. Like I'm using you as an example. Like differentiate it somehow. So for I'm me, not a model.
0: I'm not a fitness model, but yeah, th- <laughs> you <laughs> know you. what I mean. Though. There's I know, so many yeah, yeah.
1: feed I see some fitness model. So for me, well, that's
0: the social media because I like Instagram is all visual, right? So that's where everyone shines in that space, right? So a hundred percent. But go on, sorry.
1: It's everywhere. So I want to own that white space. And I, and I look on social media and I see everybody's, you know, the number one revenue generator, their number one sales leader. And that was my expertise, right? I had over two decades of expertise in it. So I could go online and say that, but I saw so many people imitating Grant Cardone and imitating all these personalities. And I thought that's a really competitive space, even though I feel like that's my strength. I don't think I want to lean into that. And I thought, do you see anybody out there, Heather, talking about or owning the space of getting fired? No one. Now, I don't see anyone talking about getting fired. So I decided I'm going to change up my marketing. I'm going to change up my content. And I'm going to test what does it look like leading with getting fired. And so that content started spiking because so many people were not talking about, they felt shame around getting fired or embarrassed. And like, who's this lady? She's putting it out there, you know, for everyone to see. And the more I would lean into that story and into that content, and it doesn't have to just be retelling the story. It can be talking about, you know, Here's how I became an author. It started with the pivotal moment of getting fired and it led to here or, you know, the different learnings or or relating to news topics or whatnot around bouncing back from termination. And that's allowed me to find a small white space that I can own.
0: Yeah, I think that's very smart. I'm a big believer in that, right? Because otherwise, it's just like it's a it's. This it's the real me too. Like okay, you're doing that me too. Your your dog, my dog. like it's extremely difficult having. I think carving out a niche like that. Something also like a niche that you did with uh, getting fired. Everybody has been a lot. Most people have been in that situation, and it's like a gut wrenching feeling, right? So it resonates with people, and you know it's it's good to have like some kind of. Place where there is someone that you know relates to them and how they dealt with it and 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 succeeded. So I think that's a very smart. I like that. That's super smart to do it that way. And well, so- it was risky.
1: People did not think it was smart when I put the first post up. When I posted, I have just been fired after 14 years of constant promotion. I was told I am no longer needed today. If I've ever helped you, I need to hear from you now. So many people called me and said, you look pathetic. Take that post down. Again, they cared about me. They thought they were protecting me. But I, I decided, no, I I feel I don't feel ashamed. I didn't steal money from the company. You know what? People need to know what happened. And and when I saw that post went viral, I thought there's something here and I'm gonna keep testing it and see see where it takes me.
0: Yeah, no, I, I really like that. That's great. What how would you turn how would you I wanted to ask you this earlier and I kind of just like Leapfrogged, I guess, to the leapfrog question, but <laughs> um, negative thoughts with people, right? That's why they are if fa- you're a, a failure, f- a fear, maybe going forward, doing anything. You talk about in your in this book, overcoming your villains, about going from negative thoughts to neutral thoughts. What mm-hmm. is that? Talk about well, that.
1: Yeah, I love I love that. I learned that from Trevor Mwad, who was a guest on my podcast, and his expertise and specialty is working with athletes and teaching them instead of focusing so much on, okay, you had a horrible game. You're down in the dumps. Let's talk about how you're going to be number one this year and how you're going to turn it around. So many people can't, it's it's a vast leap to go from really negative to, oh, my life's going to be great. But they felt, I can actually look at the facts and say, today was one day and tomorrow's a new day and tomorrow could be better, right? Just look kind of dialing down that toxic positivity that many people want to have or want to make a jump to and just can't get themselves there. And that idea of like, let's look at what the facts are, what is shifting into neutral look like for you? And is that something you could do today? And it's much easier to go from really low to neutral. It's a lot easier than going from really low to positive.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's true. So when you do your motivational speaking things, because now you're talking about getting fired, do you go go to companies and talk about when you get fired or who are you talking to or what's your topics?
1: Yeah, so I, I talk about a lot of things, sales and sales leadership. That's really my expertise, right? Like, it's funny, this whole confidence thing, I've only been doing this for a little over, it's almost four years now. So I don't really consider myself an expert at it, but I I do consider myself an expert, you know, in regards to corporate America and running businesses and driving revenue. So I do a lot around innovation, revenue generation, sales, collaboration with teams, I do a lot of that, that's more my company stuff. But then I do a lot of MLM companies and you know, just going bigger and going for more stepping into fear, you know, how can you innovate and and find new ways to sell in your community. I've been doing a lot of those MLM type talks lately. And then, you know, gosh, it runs the gamut doing a women's conference. I they do like me to speak about confidence. That's definitely the topic people want to hear about.
0: Yeah, for women conferences, for sure. For sure. Well, I think sales, though, your background, though, is, in my opinion, every company, everything you do, not you personally, everybody requires an element of sales. You're going to sell yourself. You're going to sell your products. You're going to sell whatever the hell you're doing. I think that's a very, very important foundation of anything. You know, I mean, so you come by like your background is so important for everything else moving forward i think i always tell people they have to like learn and master sales to do anything
1: it's so, so funny that you say that. I, I couldn't agree more i was speaking for a financial company a couple weeks ago and in the pre-calls leading up to it i said okay guys i do think we need to get into sales oh heather we're not in sales i said oh, hang on like let's back it up for a moment and, and i guess it's an industry thing they don't like saying sales they feel sales is a dirty word they want to talk about relationships I said, okay, let me get some clarity. Are you commissioned? Well, yes, we're commissioned, Heather. Okay, and you have goals and expectations around revenue generation annually, correct? Yes, correct. Okay, so we'll talk about relationship building. But it was <laughs> funny, you know, I just it was trying to understand how they see sales as negative, but they see relationship building as positive when at the end of the day, they want to accelerate revenue, they want to close more business, but they don't want to put that tagline on it. And that many people feel that way. However, I'll remind people, In any exchange, someone's sold, right? You're either going to sell your husband that you're going out to dinner or he's going to sell you that you're making dinner tonight, right? Like in the smallest exchanges, somebody will always be sold. So at least being aware of it and not associating it with a negative activity, the way I like to see it is selling is helping. It's not my job to be so presumptuous to decide that I can make a decision for you, whether I should offer you this or not. I don't know what your situation is. I've got to empower you with information and then you can make that best decision for yourself.
0: Yeah, no, I I think so too. I I don't know why. I don't even understand why it's a dirty word. It's the most essential thing in the world for business. Like everybody else, in my opinion, to be honest, I know you don't agree with this in your book. You say everyone can be replaceable, but you're unique, which fine is true. But at the end of the day, in a company, the first people to go are the people who are not good at sales. I mean, it's the people who actually are the, you know, the sellers or the ones who are in sales who always keep their jobs because they're making money for our company. So if you don't know how to like do that in the smallest or the biggest way, then you're screwed. So I don't understand why that's a a bad word at all. Um, No, me neither. It says it. I mean, so can you, I, I actually, because this is a very much about for entrepreneurs, I want you to talk about sales. I want you to talk about some really important, easy strategies where people could, who maybe they don't really know are the best, not the best, but some great strategies for sales.
1: Oh my gosh. Just a couple of basic ones I'll share with you. Number one is really leaning into, instead of just seeing your customers as your customer base, how can we turn them into raving fans? the more that you focus on over-delivering and creating a unique experience that nobody else is delivering, and I'll give you an example on that, the more they're going to walk away from you and say, I love that company. I love those people. I'm going to tell my friends about that company. And now they're, they're becoming an extension of your sales force. And that's when you really know that you are starting to make it, right? I want people out petitioning on my behalf, selling my speeches for me, selling my books for me, because... That, that's really that instead of one-to-one strategy, one-to-many. And the more that we can start looking at how can we change up the way that we're doing it so we can go one-to-many through as many different outlets, partnerships as possible. So an example that I'll share with you is SoulCycle, you know, is my spin studio that I've been going to ever since um, the pandemic allowed us back out again. And one of the things they do here, this was just from yesterday, they recognize every time you reach some benchmark, whether it be 50 rides or 100 rides or whatever it is. And not only do they shout you out in class, right, which makes you everyone's kind of cheering for you and and you feel a part of community. Community is so important, right? They want you to feel a part of something. So you're driven to go back there and spend $40 on a bike again the next day, right? So it's all around selling you on this idea that you have to be back there But they also, they put it in writing. They give you a handwritten note. That's unique and different. Nobody does that anymore. It's unexpected because you're not charting your progress necessarily. And they are. So they're allowing you to be seen and say, wow, not only do they care about me, not only are they cheering me on but they're leaving me notes to let me know that I'm seen and I matter here. Exactly. And so, it, it, you know, it, it's more than just the encouraging word. It's going that extra mile. So, of course, when I leave, I mention to people, oh, you guys need to join my Soul Cycle family. I'm starting to talk. I'm starting to go out and advocate for them, and they're not even asking me to do it. And that's really where you change from being a customer to be, uh, you know, an engaged advocate for their business. And that's one of the best sales strategies that I could share with anybody is finding ways So you can activate your customer base.
0: That's great. Give me one more. I like that. Well, another one is we live in a review and
1: recommendation society, right? And so while people might not know that they're not necessarily getting these reviews from clients and many people will say to me, well, I don't want to ask. I don't want to bother them. You, it's not a bother. And again, it's not for you to determine if it is a bother for them. So many people like to help other people, right? I'm, I'm one of those people. You're one of those people. So the next time someone, one of your clients says to you, hey, I just wanted to say, Jennifer, great job on that. I really appreciate it. That's the open door for you to say, you know what? It would mean the world to me if you would go on my LinkedIn wall and leave that for a review for me. It really helps me grow my business and give me credibility. I'd love to do that for you. It doesn't cost them anything and it takes them 60 seconds to do it. And you're developing a portfolio that you can then share with potential clients of, let me show you some of the impact that I've had with, with customers in a similar industry to you. And you can turn that over to them. And somebody else attesting to how great you are is always gonna come over as more credible, more real and more valid than you saying it.
0: That's a great one. I love that. See, I think what you should be doing is putting a, uh, doing a sales book.
1: Yeah. People have been asking me to write confidence creator for salespeople to do a version of that book just for salespeople. And it's something that I'm definitely thinking about.
0: Yeah. Cause this is, I think that, I mean, I don't know you very well, obviously, but I think that is your strike zone because what you just even explained those two, you said it with such confidence and assertiveness to me. Like you really kind of, you feel like it's in your bones, like, you know, this shit. You know? Yeah,
1: that's what over twenty years will do to you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you live in Florida, correct? I'm in Miami, the three hundred five. Oh wow i just I just got back from Miami. Um, it was humid there. It's a little hot, that's for sure. Yeah, it's very hot. Well, I think I listen. I think this was this has been great. You gave us some really like great, practical, tangible good information that people can kind of integrate into their life and that's what this podcast is about giving people things that they can actually do that's not just like chitter chatter but things that are much more implemental they can implement so i appreciate that and your book is called overcoming your villains and people can buy it wherever and where do people find you if they want to have more information on you heather and your book and everything else that you do
1: I'm at Heather Monaghan, all social media. My podcast is Creating Confidence with Heather Monaghan. You can find it anywhere where you get your podcasts.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for being on this podcast. Well, thank you for having me. No, it's amazing. Awesome. And we'll have you on again, if that's cool with you. Of course, when, I would when, love it. Once you have
2: the sales book.
1: All right, I'll, I'll write the sales <laughs> book for you. <laughs>
2: thank you. Thank you.